Hey, uh, listen, before we get started with the message this morning, I wanted to share with you something pretty outstanding that happened over the past few days. Um, Best of Medina County came out, and I want you to know something about our MDO program. It was voted Best Early Childhood Program in Medina County. And uh, Emlyn, I'm going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to come up here, okay? Just stand up. Emlyn leads that. She does an outstanding job. And we couldn't be more proud of her and all of the staff that make it the best of Medina County. So, you guys, it's a big deal, and it's a great honor. Uh, so here we are. We're in the last uh, week of the series, and we're looking at something that is pretty difficult to take. And so I want you to kind of prepare you for that for just a second. But I was just curious, how many of you, how many of you last week spent meaningful time exploring James chapter 3? Well, some of you did. Well, listen, for those of you that sought to be wise, thank you. For those of you that didn't, let's try again. Okay, uh, so if you're able, I really do hope that it was helpful in helping you to discover the areas that uh, pride was unknowingly creeping into your life. Now, if by raising your hand saying that you studied it brought pride into the room, listen, that's a whole nother thing, right? And so let's be thankful that God continues to work on us, shape us, and mold us into the people that he wants us to be. Amen. So my prayer for you, though, is that God will continue to use his word to shape you, to mold you, to make you into that person that he is destined for you to be from the very beginning of time. And as we discovered last week, humility is still the solution to pride. James tells us that wisdom, wisdom is the source of humility. And today I thought, who better to give us wisdom than Solomon? Solomon, who was considered the wisest man alive. Now that's Old Testament. That's the, the son of David and Bathsheba. He was the king after David. And he was considered the wisest man alive because he was given an option. Hey, uh, Solomon, would you like to have riches or wisdom? And he chose wisdom and God gave him both and both abundantly. So, Here's a question. Can you have all the money that you'd ever need and still feel empty? Yeah. Can you have all the stuff that you've ever wanted and still feel unfulfilled? Now, I've shared with you before a quote from uh, J.D. Rockefeller. He was, a, at one time, he was the richest man alive, and I think uh, people have eclipsed him by now. But J.D. Rockefeller was an oil magnate upon many other things. And J.D. Rockefeller was asked one day, hey, Mr. Rockefeller, Mr. Rockefeller, when, how much is going to be enough? In which he famously replied, just one more dollar. Right? And it's that quest that we kind of get ourselves caught up in, that we decide that one more thing is going to make us better. One more thing is going to make us feel fulfilled. So can you buy, rent, or lease happiness? No. Because you know that routine. You know how it goes. When you have that feeling, you're driving your car around, and it gets that, la that rattle and that shake in it, Right? and then you get passed by the newer version of it on the road, you look at it and you think, that would make me happy. 
And so the shiny is worn off. And then you exchange your paid off car for one that has a monthly payment. And then when that first payment comes due after the 60 days or 30 days or however long they said that that first payment was going to be deferred to make it cost more later, you know, that's how it works, right? When that first bill comes due, then you figured out that you sold your happiness. Solomon. Solomon was a man that had everything that he could ever want. Solomon had money. He had loads of money. He had smarts. He was the wisest man of his time. He had fame. Everyone knew who he was. He had all the stuff. He had land. He had food more than he could ever eat. He had servants. Now, for those of you that woke up this morning knowing that the the Houston Astros won the World Series, then the next thing you did was roll over and find out that nobody won the lottery. Your retirement plan went up in smoke once more. What would you do, though, if you won the lottery? And I think that's probably a question that we all kind of think about. If I had a windfall of cash, now sometimes our windfall of cash means somebody had to die, right? It's an inheritance. Sometimes it's by winning a lottery by chance. But what would you do if you had a windfall of cash? We dream about that, right? We think about it. And most of us say, the first thing I do is quit my job. Anyone in there? (laughs) A few of us, okay. And we think, that would make me happy. Living a life, doing nothing would make me absolutely happy, as if we weren't created for work. We decide that a shortcut for all of our issues, rather than being financially responsible, we decide if I could just get it by somebody giving it to me, it'll be okay. Rather than fixing our our difficult decisions and making good ones and changing the course of our life moving forward, we decide, hey, let's get a shortcut. Now, last time I checked, shortcuts don't normally get us where we need to be any better, right? Most of the time, a shortcut has a little bit more cost associated with it. Now, we think about it, and if there were some sort of shortcut for life, And if there were some divine answer that we could be given, I bet that Solomon would tell us what that thing would be. You would think, listen, a guy that has everything that he needed, a guy that knew every bit what it meant to have everything, land, chariots, horses, cattle, everything, anything he wanted he could have. You would think that he would say, you know what? I have arrived and I have found that everything that I've received makes my life so much better. But Solomon would tell you something different. In Ecclesiastes chapter two, we're gonna be looking at the whole of Ecclesiastes chapter two today. This is Solomon speaking. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. He thought to himself, listen, if I, I could stand a little bit of pleasure, besides I have just about anything that anyone would want, And I can buy anything that I want, so surely I can buy a little bit of pleasure. He says, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, 
What use is it? He says, there's, no, there's more to life than just laughing it away. There's more to life than just seeking my own desires. I searched with my heart, he said. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. I tried to drink, he says, the pleasure in to my life. My heart, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly. He said, still, still, I'm searching. I, I, I've done everything. I've gone and I've, I've bought things and I've built things and I've made things and I've drank things and I've maybe drank too much of things and I'm still searching because in all of those things, I'm still finding that there's no meaning found in any of them. So he continues, till I might see what was good for children of man to do under heaven all the days, during the few days of their life. He says, really, what I'm trying to figure out here is, and this is maybe some question that you kind of have, what is it that I can do? What is it that I can do? What is a useful way for me to spend my life? Because probably one of our biggest fears is to, to wake up one morning and figure out that we have wasted our entire life, that there is nothing good left, and that we have squandered an opportunity. Anyone have that fear rolling around in the back of your head? You're like, no, my fear is I have to go to work tomorrow, right? He says, what is it? What is good for the, the children of man to do during the very few days that they have? He says, here's what I've done. I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I have big houses, great and expansive land. I made, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. He made himself places to play. He had trees that were ripe with fruit. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. There was no need that Solomon had that had been left unmet. He says, listen, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I, I had servants for so long that they actually had children serving me. I have had all manner of service given to me. I'd also had great possessions of herds and flocks. I had more cattle. I had more horses. I had more sheep than anyone before me in all of Jerusalem. He had a petting zoo, right? He had meat for days. There was nothing that he did not have that he needed. I also gathered for myself silver and gold in the treasures of kings and provinces, silver and gold that would make any king jealous. Now, if you grew up in my time frame, he would make Scrooge McDuck jealous, okay? He says, I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Listen, I have a house band on standby. Every night, it was my night at the club, right? And that's how he rolled in his life. Every day, he had any song, anytime he wanted a song, he had a song. Any pleasure that he wanted to seek that was carnal, he sought it. So I became great, he says. 
and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, to which I say, huh? And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Whatever I saw, I bought. Whatever I wanted, I received. I kept my heart, he says, from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. He says, listen, I worked for it. Why shouldn't I enjoy my life? Why shouldn't I enjoy every bit of what I have? Because I worked for it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought, I just need a little bit of enjoyment because I work hard? So I work hard and I play hard, right? Then I considered what my hands had done and all the toil I'd expended in doing it. And behold, it was vanity, striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. It's a really encouraging message this morning, isn't it? So we work hard, and we believe that we deserve everything that comes from that work. And I don't think that I would disagree with you that you should enjoy the things that God has given you in your life. But if you're seeking to find your fulfillment in them, that's the problem. Because meaning is not found in the accumulation of things. Because Solomon knew firsthand what it was to give into every single want and desire. There's a, a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, and it's not about marriage. It, the Great Divorce is actually about what would it look like to, to rewrite what hell looks like. And basically, C.S. Lewis said that hell is basically everybody getting everything that they wanted. Everything and figuring out that they did not need anyone. So our version of hell would be getting every single thing that we ever wanted, but being absolutely alone. He continues, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. He said basically this, I need to figure this out, what's better? What, what is better in my life, to have wisdom, to prefer, pr pursue the, the silliness of life, to chase stupidity? What, what's going to be the best thing? For what can, what can the man do who comes after the king? Now, this could be a question that he's asking of somebody that comes after him, but of course he came after his father, King David. What can I do that hasn't been done? What can I build that hasn't been built? Who can I rule that hasn't been ruled? Who can do anything new? Because it's all been done before. Then I saw, then I saw that there's great gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. 
And yet, he says, even though there's great gain and wisdom and light and I have eyes to see, there, the whole thing, the same end comes, the same event happens to us all. For the wise as the fool, there is no enduring, no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. And it's in that that we realize our biggest struggle that we find in our lives is that we're going to be forgotten. Eventually, the wise and the fool will be forgotten. And so Solomon continues, I hated all my toil. I hated all my toil, which I toil under the sun. Did you know that 70% of American workers are disengaged at work? Did you know about 30% feel stuck and dissatisfied? You're like, I'm one of the 30. He says, seeing that I must leave, leave it to the man who comes after me. He says, listen, I'm going to do all this work. I'm going to live all this life. And then one day I'm going to breathe my last. And then it's all going to be given to someone else. Why work so hard? Why work so hard for those who come after me are going to be the ones that enjoy it? And who knows, he says, who knows if they're going to be wise or a fool? Will they do the right things with it? So I turned. I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labor under the sun. I decided, you know what, instead of enjoy what I do, I'm going to complain. I hate work. Work's the worst. I get hot. I get sweaty. I get a keyboard finger cramp. I mean, I tell you, you know that mouse clicker? Oh, when are we going to get done with all of this? I decided that instead of finding joy in my days, I'd be dissatisfied and say, you know what? I can't wait till I retire so I can sit back and do nothing. To all the retired people said, that is not true. Why should I work? Why should I work so hard for someone else to enjoy the fruit of my hard work? This is the question that Solomon is asking. We work and we sweat so someone else can enjoy all the money. Now that's true maybe to the end of our life, but that's also true for those that work for somebody else's business, right? The work that we do benefits someone else. The work we do leaves us unsettled. It leaves us dreaming that maybe there's something more, so we decide we're going to chase it with something else, right? Because sometimes, because sometimes a person who has toiled, Solomon says, with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who does not toil for it. And this leaves that bitter taste and we're going, my goodness gracious, surely there is a better way. Surely there's a way for me to to work and enjoy, to find some happiness in my life. 
So we take what little it is that we have, regardless of how much we make annually, how much we put away in our savings accounts, we take what little we have and we decide maybe I will beat the odds. And so we buy a little bit of happiness so that we can, so that we can be satisfied by working for the weekend. In fact, we figure out that every week I work, I just work so I can play on the weekend, and every week it starts over and over again. I found myself working from paycheck to paycheck, just finding myself going, if I could just have some relief. And so what do we do? We start to self-medicate. It may be on alcohol. It may be on other things. It may be on other activities. It may be the parties on the weekend. It may be the drinking to dull, dull the pain. One glass of wine turns into a whole bottle. And we lose ourselves in a hobby. Or we binge on the next Netflix series. Or we try retail therapy. We decide, listen, if I could just buy more stuff. You know, I have collections of stuff, and I have them in this nice glass case for everyone to see. Or I have some, some stuff that is so important that I only put it in boxes and put it up in the attic. So we buy more stuff, we buy better stuff, we even buy rare stuff. We figure if we can find some sort of genuine Himalayan alpaca skin sewn garment made in a remote village in Saskatchewan, very rare, only about three are known to exist. If we can have some rare stuff, then maybe it will bring some happiness into our life. But before you know it, We've, cre we've, we've created this theme park around our home, around our dream home. We've built up this idea that right now all that we can do is play and play and play. But we are still empty. So what do we do? We work harder, right? We work longer. We look for a better job with bigger pay, better Everything, right? Thinking one day, if I get the right combination, if I get the right combination of hours, I get the right combination of pay, and I get the right combination of play, one day, I'm going to be on top of Mount Happiness. We live in a world where workaholism gets you promoted, and then we burn ourselves out, and we say, listen, it's just a busy season. I want you to know that work is good and it's healthy, but overworking is not. We may not overwork, but maybe we overeat. Did you know that obesity kills three times more people than malnutrition? Oops. But even if it doesn't kill you, it significantly affects your quality of life. So if working long hours doesn't cure emptiness. Eating more doesn't cure it. So maybe we should ask the question, what is it that drives the emptiness? What is the underlying cause? Or maybe more importantly, listen, I don't care what causes it, I just wanna get out of the cycle. So I'm gonna tell you very simply, here's the answer to it, you ready? Stop asking the question, what's in it for me? Stop asking, what's in it for me? That's how you end the vicious cycle of making the mission of your life you. 
If you decide that the mission of your life, the mission, the goal of your life is you, you're never going to find what you're looking for. Your job will never be exactly what you want it to be. The friendships that you have, they're not always going to be around. Friendships have cycles. When you look for what's in it for you, nothing will ever be good enough. There will never be a perfect church for you. There'll never be a church that makes things better in your life. There'll never be a group that you can meet with that you'll just completely connect with. And God, God will only be as good to you as he's been good to you lately. Mm. When our idea of God and how good he is depends on how good we feel he's been to us. So if you want to beat emptiness, find a mission that is bigger than you. Because you are the common denominator in every experience that you've ever had. Everything is filtered through your eyes. So that's why you need to stop making you your mission. 70% of workers are dissatisfied because they don't understand a greater purpose behind the work that they do. No one wants to work for you. They want to engage in something bigger than you, something bigger than me. People want to be part of something bigger. Anyone in here decide, you know what, I want to be in a world that's only about me. No. That's not where you find purpose. That's not where you find fulfillment. But when you figure out, if I could be part of something that really makes a difference, if I could be part of something that's bigger than me, a cause, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Because bottom line is, we want to make the world a better place. We want to impact the community. We want to build something that makes the world better today and in the future. Money, we all need it, but money is a tool. Money is a fuel. Money is what supplies the fuel for a mission. So Solomon says, there's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. There's nothing better than if you completely understand how to find enjoyment in the work that you do. Look for the greater purpose in work. Maybe your, your job isn't necessarily about interacting directly with people, but the things that you do provide a service that help people's lives be better. Find the purpose and the enjoyment in what you do. For those of you that stay home and take care of the children, you are building a legacy of faith in your children. You're shaping them and moving them towards being adults that can care for themselves. If you teach, you're teaching and educating for the future of this world. There's a greater purpose in the things that we do.
So Solomon says that he should eat and drink and find fulfillment. And he says, this is from the hand of God. If you can find joy in your work connected to the greater purpose, you will see that it is from the hand of God. For apart from him, apart from God, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? There's nothing that we have that does not come from the hand of God. And until you understand that and let that filter into your life, you're not going to really understand how to have joy in this life. Because as we think about the things that we have and we say, you know what, I've worked hard and I should enjoy my hard work. I think one of the biggest revelations that comes in the lives of people is when they figure out even though you work, even though you get a paycheck, your ability to work doesn't come from you. The brain, the the matter in which you have skill, every bit of the talent that you have didn't come from you. It came from the very hand of God. Therefore, everything that you have Every dollar that has been made, every relationship that has been built comes from the very hand of God. God owns the world and everything in it. Which means that God gave you everything that you have. And God supplies for our needs. But God is also the source of joy and satisfaction in life. He says, for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting. Without God, we just gather and collect. Gather and collect. All without joy and without meaning. You gather and collect only to give to the one who pleases God. Jesus spoke about living our lives with a greater purpose. In Luke chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, here's what he said. For whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever thinks they can save themselves, you know what? They're going to lose. But whoever loses his life for my sake... Whoever gives his life for my sake, following Jesus, whoever gives their life following Jesus, they will find, they will gain life. For what does it, he says, profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In the very act of surrender, in the very act of giving up our lives, we find life. In the very act of letting go of what we call ours and saying, God, it is yours. You use it the way that you'd want to use it. You use my life, the resources in my bank account, my family, everything that I have, and you use it, God. In that that surrender, you will find life. You'll find life that is not just bottled up in your little community, bottled up in the little four walls of your home. You will find life that expands beyond your neighborhood, into your community, into the world that sees an impact that you can only dream of because you decided that you were going to surrender what you thought you wanted for the life that God has for you. So the question I want to ask you is, what good is it to gain everything to come up empty? 
Jesus extends an invitation for him to be the one who leads your life. The real you is only found in Jesus. There are two kingdoms that you can seek in life. You can seek the kingdom of me or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of me, it only lasts for your limited little sliver of time in all of eternity. But the kingdom of God, it lasts for all eternity. The kingdom of me has no lasting legacy. Because eventually, people pass on. But the kingdom of God, it lasts forever. The kingdom of God is bigger, it's better than anything you can imagine. The kingdom of God is seen, though, through humility. The kingdom of God is seen by doing away with all of our pride. The kingdom of God is seen by saying, I don't want to take everything from me. I don't want to live and build a kingdom for myself. The kingdom of God is seen through a a humbleness of heart by putting others first, by helping others for their good, not for our own. It's out of serving, not because it makes me feel good or look good, that it strokes my ego, but serving for those that do not have and can never repay. The kingdom of God looks like calling, calling people to be more than they are, encouraging them to be all that they can be through the power of Christ in their life. I believe that the church has the very best mission in the world. To tell people about the love and the hope that is found in Christ. Put Christ in the center of your mission. Place the gospel, place the gospel in the center of your life. Place the gospel in your work. Place the gospel in your family. Place Jesus there. Live for Christ. Apply the gospel in every area. In the emptiness The emptiness will leave when life is not all about you. You need a mission that is bigger than you. It's in that that you'll find excitement. It's in that that you will dream and reflect and pray and imagine that your small influence made the world better in the process of giving your life away. You'll find it. God is calling us all to be part of something that is bigger because we can do far more together than we could ever do on our own. We want to help people find a way out of emptiness and into life. We want to provide an avenue for people to find life and not only just find life, but find it abundantly and full. I want to take a moment and just share with you something that your generosity helps us to do now and into 2023, we have an opportunity for us to to create another nonprofit that will help our community and will be a strong reality of helping others find a way out of their emptiness and a way into life and life that's full. Let's play the video. We are Love Inc. That's not incorporated, but rather in the name of Christ. We are a non-denominational ministry on a mission to mobilize local churches to transform lives and communities in the name of Christ. Simply put, we help churches help people. 
Why? Because we believe there's nothing more powerful than churches working together as the body of Christ. As the body of Christ, every Christian church, regardless of denomination, is called to serve their neighbors and share their resources. They are called to walk with people who are struggling within their walls and out in their community. So where do we come in? Love Inc. connects the calling of local churches to the struggles of the community. Here's how Love Inc. works. A community member with a need calls a local church. This could be a simple request, like diapers for their child or food for their family or something bigger, like a bed for their daughter, a ride to a medical appointment, or some other type of support. And they ask, can you help me? The church can say, yes, we partner with other churches so that we can. Call Love Inc. to learn more. So they call and we pick up. We listen to them. We get to know them, their strengths and struggles, their hopes and dreams. We want to know about more than their current crisis because we're not just about meeting needs, we're about meeting people where they're at and caring for them holistically. Then, through Love Inc.'s network of churches and community relationships, we work to help. Diapers are provided by one church, groceries by another, rides are arranged with caring church volunteers, while classes and mentoring are provided by others and it's all coordinated by Love, Inc. So at every step, our neighbors are met with dignity and respect, while our partner churches are free to focus on serving according to their strengths, knowing that each individual will be fully cared for by the body of Christ within their community. The result? Transformed lives, transformed churches, and transformed communities. Will you join us in this work? Visit loveinc.org to find out more or contact your local Love Inc. to get connected in your community. So how do we ensure that this community is not about what we do? It's by saying it doesn't matter what denomination, what church you go to, we care more about you. And so what we want us to think through and pray through and bring our generosity to the table for is that we can be a church that is for this community, that connects regardless of what church you go to or where you end up, even if you end up going to a church. But we say we want to meet the needs that this community has, all for the sake of Christ, because it's not about First Baptist. It's about the Savior and Lord whom we serve. Amen.